Welcome to episode 109 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Dan Eden. He is a design engineer at Dropbox, uh, previously a design intern at Dropbox. He is making some rad, rad stuff. He's uh, first came onto my radar through side projects, which we'll talk about. Before we do that, two things. First, leave us a review on iTunes. If you've been enjoying the show or if this is your first episode that you're listening to, leave us a rating. Your feedback really helps us. Star ratings help us move along the charts on iTunes, help new people discover the show. We are on the front page. And we were on the front page last week. So thank you to everyone who's been leaving us reviews. We appreciate critical feedback and positive feedback. Whatever you want, just open up iTunes on your phone or computer. Leave us a word. Leave us a star rating. We appreciate it. Seriously, though, thanks to you guys. We were like the number four tech podcast like all week last week. So you guys are the best. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. Wayno. The all dancing, all singing, fast growing, not quite bourgeois, not quite bohemian, full service digital agency. That's their own words. That's what they said. In our words, they do dope work. It's be dope. It's be chill. Very, very good work. Why are they sponsoring the show? Well, basically they're supporting us. They want to get in front of you guys, let you know that they exist. Uh, ideally, go check out their website, wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O, which you should do because their work is rad. They're working with companies like Google, Airbnb, Reuters, Cisco, Dropbox, Red Bull. Their client list is unbelievable. They're hiring some incredibly talented designers. I hung out with Linda Eliasson the other day, their new art director, and she showed me like 60 hedgehogs she drew and... Oh my God, I have never been so excited about a little vector hedgehog icon. It was great. Wayno is doing amazing work with amazing people. Uh, go check them out, wayno.co. If you're looking for a job, they're also hiring. They have an office in New York, San Francisco. Uh, Iceland? I think Iceland. I think Iceland. Uh, to learn more, go to wayno.co. Click the careers link in their header and tell them we sent you. And with that, let's get to episode 109 with Daniel Eden. Dan Eden? Daniel. Dan, Dan, Dan. Danny Den. Hi, I'm Daniel Eden, a designer and design engineer over at Dropbox. Wait, Daniel Eden? I know. Dude. This is, okay. This said is Dan like a minute ago. False of habit because <laughs> this is a pretty, like, so Americans don't understand my accent. And so when I introduce myself as Dan, almost 90% of times I misheard and they think I say Brian or or Ben, what or Jack, or my favorite. What my favorite one has been Dad. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dad. <laughs> Brian or Ben or Jack. Somebody thought I said I could just use your accent and say my name is Dan Danson. <laughs> Dan Danson. Someone thought I said Den, short for Denver. Once mm. so mm-hmm. okay. Short for Denver? Mm-hmm. Not like Dennis? No, no, no. <laughs> I know someone named Denver. Why? John Denver? <laughs> yeah, he and I go way back. All right, so... Rocky Mountain High, my ass. <laughs> that done, Denver's full of shit. So, Daniel is the, the intro name, but we can call you Dan. You can. That makes sense. And at this point, everyone knows it's Dan. Dan. Not Dad. <laughs> yeah. No, I have two options at that point when someone mishears me is to say Daniel or Dan. Dan. <laughs> Dan. Dan. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> uh, that's a great American American accent. Mm-hmm. Hard vowels. Yeah. Um, cool. What do you do? What are you working on? Uh, I am working on fixing Dropbox's CSS and trying to... 
develop a common vocabulary between Dropbox's engineers and design teams. So, design engineer. You could say that's that. It's a new thing, right? It's we could say that. And you say that. Actually. Yeah, you <laughs> said that like a minute ago. <laughs> I do say that. This isn't, I didn't make that up. Yeah, uh, I mean, so my, my official title, the one that's on my, my visa and my paychecks is web developer, but that doesn't really describe fully what I do, especially considering we already have a web developer role and it's that, that related, but less so than they should be. They're Dan adjacent. <clears throat> yes. Well, Let's dig in and actually understand what it is you do. Yeah. So there's two parts. One is you are fixing CSS at Dropbox. Mm -hmm. Second, you're bridging the relationship between engineers and designers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. First part. What's broken about Dropbox to CSS? We have way too much of it for one thing. We we have like a hundred classic. And, yeah. Nice. Classic problem. Class. <laughs> <laughs> Did I pick up a pun that you didn't pick up? That wasn't really a good pun. No. <laughs> it classes? Was, it was a fine... No, I said classic. Yeah, yeah but classes. Class, yeah, class. no, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Dropbox... Hmm. I know what you're going to say. Sarah. Cut that, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Um, no, we, we... Yeah, we have like... Are you saying Dropbox all white? Yeah. Yeah, no, we get that a lot. You okay, let's, be, let's leave this let's, in then. Talk about that. Yeah, we, we have like 140,000 lines of SAS code. No yeah. way. Yeah. Of SAS? Yeah. So, Is that like complex mixings with callbacks and shit? That. Holy <laughs> shit. It's 140,000 lines. Dude. Ex excluding white space and comments. And that's been growing by about a thousand lines a week for what like for like. Does that compile to? Is that in the product or is that in all the sites combined? That's everything. That's all okay. the sites combined. Because there's been like there's like some one-off sites and stuff, right? That outside yeah. companies yeah. have made. Like Wayno did the. They worked with you, right? Yeah, yeah. The business yeah. pages. The yeah, we have like yeah. So that's like everything that you'll ever see on like a Dropbox domain, or even like Carousel and Mailbox websites were in that code base. Um, but even so, that's like a lot. And so the output of that is hard to measure because there's also a bunch of like parallel compiling that happens that generates sprites on the fly. And so we end up with like multiples and multiples of code. But um, I think the thing that concerns me most about that is that we have 140,000 lines of SAS that our engineers have to understand, which is like a way bigger problem than you know how much the browser downloads is how quickly we can build stuff is Depends it pure sas or scss it's scss okay sorry yeah why did you want to work on this i joined dropbox as a design intern um when the team was still the design team was still like just a dozen or so people and that was two and a bit years ago mm -hmm. yep design team is like 80 something now including researchers and illustrators and everyone which is insane um but i came from a background of like building my own web things and like products and everything and joining dropbox i was kind of and i ended up just staying in sketch and photoshop all the time and i was like hold on why am i not like helping write production code i know my way around css and started diving into the developer stack and found out that the barrier for entry is like really high there not on purpose, it's just something that happens when a company grows like crazy and you have a lot of very smart engineers kind of not 
paving the cow paths for people who aren't as smart as them. Paving the old cow paths. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think personally I felt compelled to like help try and reduce the amount of CSS we had just so that it was more manageable for people like myself to actually get started writing like front-end code. But also, if this is a problem for like me, somebody entering the company who's been around for a while, how do new engineers feel like navigating this gigantic code base? Like, how do they know where to start when they need to add like three lines of CSS? That should be a very simple question to answer, and it's not right now. Did you have a process when you said, "All right, I'm gonna. This is something I want to work on. I want to figure this out." Yeah. How do you even start? Um, it started with mostly observation. So I didn't write much code for a long time. I was basically just watching the growth and how people were writing CSS at Dropbox. So. One of the craziest weeks I had was I set up a rule on our like an app called Fabricator that's like GitHub clone basically, and I set up a rule there to notify me and add me as a blocking reviewer every time somebody changed uh, an SCSS file. So that put me that's on, insane. That put me on about <laughs> ten reviews a day for like a week, which was like hundreds of emails, mm-hmm. um, which took up a lot of time, but it had the advantage of like getting a lot of exposures to the most commonly written new rules and like what people were writing in terms of like class names and everything and and then from there it was really identifying the common new CSS themes and like trying to um, educate our engineers on how to write you know better class names and how to reuse components more effectively and everything and it's definitely now starting to turn into the snowballing effect where I'm starting to see those best practices without me even having to be present in code reviews and stuff, which is very encouraging. But obviously the CSS is still growing, and so we have this problem of like this gigantic code base. We can slow growth, but then how do we start to chip away at it? Yeah, well, can we dig in more? Because this has come up to, to Bryn and I several times, uh, folks trying to create a style guide for their company or implement CSS best practices. And the question is, how do I communicate these changes to engineers? How do I get people to buy into this? Be a blocking reviewer. It it has consistently been, in my experience, a good thing for designers to get involved in the CSS. It, the outcome is always better, which it's, is shocking yeah. to me. I, I didn't expect that to be a case. Like I trust my engineers on everything except for CSS. I agree, but I wonder... I wonder if that's universal or if if there's a point where that breaks, like company size or code base size where it breaks for for a designer to be working on the CSS. If that is the case, I haven't heard of it. Like every company or most companies besides Dropbox that I've spoken to designers and engineers, they have designers who are working on CSS and front-end code. And it makes a lot of sense because at least in my case and a lot of the designers at Dropbox, we came from a background of like building our own websites. And, you know, when we have to do a portfolio refresh, we like write CSS for that. Whereas, you know, the most talented JavaScript and like Python engineers at Dropbox have probably never written a line of CSS before coming to Dropbox. And they have to like think about, you know, the whole like component that they're building. It feels like a, a shame to have all these talented front-end developers who are on the design team and not empower them to get into the code base because it's like a really hard hurdle to cross. So, so sorry, what were what were some of the steps that you, st- you took to start evangelizing this and getting buy-in? Was that a 
resistive thing at first? Um, there was definitely some resistance, but mostly people just really want like a toolkit for not having to write new CSS. So what I what eventually came out of this work was um, this framework called Scooter that we open sourced like a couple months ago now, I think. And along with it, like a a, a guideline for writing new CSS. And, um, and that's open sourced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the actually open sourcing Scooter was, uh, it took like months because we've never open sourced CSS before. It's always been like Python code or like some C stuff and some JavaScript stuff. And so the lawyers didn't quite understand that there was no obfuscation of the code. Everything that was going to be released was how like the browser read it and was shown anyway. And so there was some pushback against like releasing it. Who fought the hardest to get it open sourced? Me. I was the only person working <laughs> on that project. <laughs> why so. did you? Why did you endure that? That must have been such a battle to get that thing out there. Because I, I mean, I greatly admire like, um, I mean, Mark Otto, who worked on like Bootstrap and moved on to do like primer at GitHub. I really think that's very cool to see a big company kind of think about design, the crossover of design and front-end engineering in this like framework-oriented way. And it's always very interesting to share those ideas of how to write CSS and write components and and just kind of have, open up more opportunities for like learning from an outside source. It's very cool. And also to give back, you know, it's always hard to be the little guy who doesn't know how to write CSS and to like look at a big company's code base and go, oh, this is really cool and see the source of it. Or or that has like a, a very engineering or just like CS-based engineering team and it's, mm-hmm. they just don't have the time to like learn how to make things look good. Yeah. Right. Uh, BuzzFeed's got a, a thing that just came out too that's yeah, yeah. pretty good. It's got some weird important things, but I've... There's a bunch of importance in Scooter. That was a that was an interesting design choice. Was that to communicate immutability? Yeah. Okay. And and also just the the idea of chaining classes as opposed to writing like rule blocks, right? So mm-hmm. rather than saying float left for these like ten elements, you just give that element a class that floats it left. And it's things like that that lead to bloated code bases. At least at Dropbox, we have you know thousands of float declarations when we could just use one class that's three lines long. So I actually don't think I've used floats or clears in a while. Yeah. That's crazy. Flexbox. We just thought about it. We still have to hang on to IE9, so... What? Yeah. (laughs) Damn. What's IE9? Yeah. Can Crazy. I I don't know how technical you want to get, but there's lots of open source CSS frameworks. Mm -hmm. Bootstrap, of course, would be probably the most well-known one. What has... How has your approach been different, or how have you thought about this framework in a different way that that you feel like makes it the right choice for people? Um, Not that you're trying to sell it to anyone, but like, I mean, what so was your philosophy behind it? When Bootstrap first came out, it was like very cool and very exciting, and it quickly turned from this very interesting project that gave you a look inside how Twitter operated into this be it all framework that was built for like everybody to use mm-hmm. and I really didn't like that well I've heard that it took a bit of work to do that because they were basically fighting like Twitter lawyers to like get it yeah well and now they make money from it which is crazy 
Yeah, it's like good for them and it's good for everyone who needed something like that to build a website. Yeah. But it didn't do a good job of what I thought um, it was going to be, which was just like, hey, this is how we're building Twitter. Mm. And, and then when GitHub Primer came out, I had noticed that that explicitly says like, hey, we're building this for us. Like, we're only going to work on something on Primer if we need it for GitHub. And I was working on Scooter at the time and I remember thinking, that's really reassuring that they're taking a stance on this being a different breed of project. So taking taking it as educational instead of being yeah. like prescriptive and just going and doing the thing for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so though early in the days of like let's fix Dropbox's CSS there was some discussion of like okay you're writing all the CSS like to build a framework or whatever why not just use like Bootstrap or something and I think it really makes a difference to have to go through the thought process yourself of how this component is going to live for the next you know x years because if you adopt something like Bootstrap and one day you need to change one of those components, there are all these knock-on effects that you can't have thought about because you didn't design it in the first place. So it was like a very fun project to, to work on for a while, in isolation for a while, and then to open up to like engineers at Dropbox who said, oh, we need to do this. Let's think about a plan for designing this new component and stuff. So Now that it's open source, have people outside of Dropbox gotten involved? Um, only really insofar as like pointing out things that are inconsistent or missing or uh, like most of the, I think we're on issue like 25, so it's still okay. pretty early days. Mm-hmm. And most of those have been like either Dropboxes saying like, hey, we need this thing, let's work on it. Or people outside saying, okay, this variable is inconsistently named and stuff. So Cool. Okay. So where did the name Scooter come from? <laughs> Um, we have a bunch of scooters in the office for people to get around. I've I, seen Drew I, riding by on one. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of that, but it's it's like deeply embedded in Dropbox culture. So I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> deeply embedded scootering. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I was like, okay, I need a name for this thing. You know, scooters are like a fast way to get around and to get moving. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. what if we make it the way for engineers to start writing front end code really quickly? Beautiful naming. Thank you. Bryn, are you proud? It's good naming. Why would I be proud? Because you're the naming master. It has nothing to do with me. Did you name Design Details? No, I hate that name. <laughs> I named Spec FM, though. Oh, nice. Pretty happy with that that's, one. That's a good one. Piss off. Lots. <laughs> I didn't even ask. I just bought the domain. That is true. Nice. Uh, you have a history of open source projects, though. And <laughs> so, for context, I first came across you years ago when you released animate.css. That's how everybody comes across me. Can you tell me about that story? I feel like that sounds so cliche or whatever, but that like sort of put you on the yeah. radar for no, it, it like did. people in the design community, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what happened and why you did that? Yeah, it's definitely the like the biggest chapter in my origin story, which is crazy, apart from being born, I guess. <laughs> Um, That's a pretty short chapter. I had parents or some shit. I don't know. And then I did. And then I wrote the sick CSS file. (laughs) Um, No, so animate CSS started as like a single CSS file in another project that I was working on, 
basically CSS animations were like brand new and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I don't have to learn JavaScript in order to like animate something because I still suck at JavaScript even today. And so I feel like even if you're good at JavaScript, you kind of suck at JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) It's not written to make you good at it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And we use CoffeeScript at Dropbox, which makes it like 10 times harder because it's white white space space dependent (laughs) languages. And like maybe you can use like brackets. I don't know. I actually like CoffeeScript, but that's whatever. Yikes. I use Jade too. And I've never used SAS. I've used CSS though. I just started using Jade and it's like, oh, I love Jade. (laughs) Actually, I'm warming up to it. Jade's pretty great. Just just now. You just warmed up to it. Well, I started using it last week. Okay. So it's been a quick rant. Anyways, <laughs> I said I love it, and he was like, "Oh, I get it. Okay, I'm in." Just That's kidding. good. Brian never does things that way. He hates everything I love, and Bryn loves everything I hate. That's a great relationship. That's, you just said the exact same thing. <laughs> God damn it! And that's the beauty of it. <laughs> so you're writing this file for another project? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. So that project was this like, basically, I found myself in college with a job and making money for the first time in my life. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out where my money's going. So I made this thing called Brills that is like a glorified calculator where you tell it how much money a month you're making and then the various things that are regular outgoings. And it's like, okay, you have this much money left over every month. So that was... Like, so you basically invented Mint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I no, I, I like finished that thing and shipped it on Forest. If you yeah. guys remember yeah. Forest, and some the first comment was like, "Isn't this mint? Oh no, but, like worse." And I was like, <laughs> oh, "Oh shit, my bad." Bringing up, uh, yeah, old wound, old God. wound, shit. Well, now it's now it's been salted. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, so animate CSS was this like one file on this project that was mainly used to like animate the cells of like things that you were paying for and like titles from entering the screen and stuff. And I found myself copying and pasting these animations into other little projects that I was working on. I was like, why well why don't I just put this somewhere for like myself to always have access to? And so I put it on GitHub and like tweeted about it with my like hundred followers, and then I can't remember who who picked it up, but a designer with more followers than me re like found it and retweeted it, and you know it just kind of snowballed insanely, and you know there must have been like twenty animations at first, and now there's like like forty or something, and they have like we're approaching thirty thousand stars on GitHub, which is. Ooh. Insane. There's that's a up there, there's a dude. there's a V4 branch on GitHub that's been stale for for too long. Um, I'm working on a SaaS version. Open source is hard. Like popular open source projects, I really feel for like the like Mark and the maintainers of like Bootstrap Mark and Prime and stuff. Like it's crazy what they do, with dude. It. Yeah, and they both have like full time jobs. jobs yeah. I know. Jacob's running a startup now, and Mark is like head of design at. <laughs> GitHub. Yeah. Those are crazy, like, hard jobs. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, every time I feel bummed out about, like, how much, <laughs> wor- how much work it is to run Animate CSS, I just, like, look at a project like that and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Mm. Yeah, to be fair, they have help, right? Like, they've got a lot yeah, of yeah, help. Yeah. But. yeah, I've been, it's like my baby, so as much as I need help from other people, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I trust you it's to have so the same to vision. Up. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so it you launched it, it snowballed, got picked up. What came of that? What happened? Uh for one thing, it got me a job. Like um It's pretty good. Pretty it, good one one yeah. CSS file output, right? Yeah, so it must have been the yeah, the year that I graduated, just before I graduated college, I I got in touch with, or rather, uh, Morgan Knutson, who is a designer at Dropbox, obviously. He's um, like always the link. He yeah, is. every he, time. He knows everyone. He does. Yeah. Uh, um, he like reached out to me and was like, hey, I just found this like project of yours, and then it made me click through to your portfolio, and you've got a lot of cool stuff. You should come and interview for an internship. And yeah, that was like several months before I was even graduating, and... I remember previously in the year thinking, like realizing that San Francisco was where all these like crazy companies were. And I was like, oh, I should move there one day and like, you know, be a designer out there. And then thinking that would be like 10 years time. And then like six months later, I'm sitting in Dropbox's like meeting room, giving a portfolio review, uh, the presentation that I was not prepared for at all. Can you ever be prepared for that? I oh, no, like I can't. mean, as in they did not tell me that ah. I was going to be presenting a portfolio. I oh, shit. don't even own a laptop. I turn up to the day, just like sit down in this room of Dropbox designers, like the old school designers, and they're like, so you're going to show us something? I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> and the recruiter... Jen Pham was like so horrified. She was like, oh my God, I forgot. Hit like, I forgot to laptop. tell you there's this really key component of the interview <laughs> process. We'll like, you know, run through it. And I mean, it, it worked out. I guess um, they had faith. So I'm still here. Maybe we can sidetrack a bit. What were you doing during college that, or even further back? What got you into design and how did you end up building up a um, portfolio at all? So my, I mean, my entire portfolio when I joined Dropbox and even still today was just stuff that I worked on in basically my final year of college. Um, so just a bunch of what I just call like utility projects that were like, I'm going to make a glorified calculator and I'm going to make like a clone of IA writer because it doesn't work on windows. So it was a bunch of those projects. And uh, I mean, the path to design for me was interesting well not interesting i guess (laughs) i guess flip-flop dull in a sense interesting in another basically i had just always grown up with like my my dad is like an engineer and so but like mechanical engineer by training and he just always had like computers and stuff around and so i would like hang out with him and eventually by myself end up I must have broken like five tower PCs just like playing with the CPU. Like, I wonder what happens when I do this thing. Your and father probably loved <laughs> Past tense. Just, <laughs> I love that. At one point in time, he did. Uh, I mean, we like built little like robots together and stuff. It was awesome. And so I, I definitely always had this kind of interest for technology. And then as I grew up, I was like, oh, shoot, like art and photography and stuff is really cool. I want to do more of this. And really sucked at drawing and painting and was like kind of sad about that. But photography I had a knack for. And then just just the interweaving of those two things, like me being really interested by like photography and the arts and like creative stuff. And also technology was just like kind of narrowing into this point of like, 
okay, what about web design where you can like play with photos and then put them on the internet and that has coding and stuff involved. And I made, I remember like the first website I got paid for, I got like dinner bought for me and that was it. And, and actually I remember working on it in Photoshop and then realizing I actually had to code to like code the damn thing, opening front page and like throwing stuff in there until it worked. Um, That's why you like white space so much. (laughs) So you got to build the thing too. Yeah. I mean, over the years I would just build more and more websites until I started thinking, okay, I got to go beyond like HTML and how do I build, you know, a calculator? And it's like, okay, you need JavaScript and like, okay, what about PHP that you can use like a database with and stuff. And so, I don't know. I, I kind of fell into the role of designer because I was, I think I was always motivated about building these things. And I was like, oh, this looks terrible. Like I want to make this look nice. And so I just picked up some rudimentary design skills and went from there. I got super obsessed with typography because I just wanted things to read well. So you just bought a new typeface and your site looks great. Yeah. Falls back to Georgia. Yep. Of course. What's the typeface? Uh, I bought Tempos text from Klim. So good. It's been on my wish list for a while. I have John Gold adores that font too. It's, it's great. Yeah. Maybe it's a British thing. <laughs> the Commonwealth Maybe countries Chris. have to stick together. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Yet I I have like a, a a things list of just typefaces that I really want. Because they're expensive and I don't want to like pirate them. So I'm like, okay, this is next on my list. I got to get this thing. So what's next on the list? Uh, probably Quadrat. Okay. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I mean, I have a bad tendency habit to redesign my site very often. So it, it was Neue Haas Unica for the longest time. That's been the longest iteration. And then, yeah, I bought Tiempos and was immediately like, okay, I got to redesign this. What is it with always having the urge to redesign your own website. I think it's a perfectly natural inclination. It's wonderful to be like able to build a website and that that didn't exist for designers, you know, just a few decades ago is insane. Like I can't imagine how expensive it would be to go out and buy all the materials to like letter set something if I wanted to play with type. And now I can do it in like two minutes in Vim. It's insane. Two minutes of Vim is like, (laughs) I'd rather buy the letter set tools. Fuck it. I was stalking your Twitter. I think you recently talked about Vim. What was it? (laughs) Walk into the club. (laughs) My my pin tweet is walk into the club like, how do I exit Vim? (laughs) Which I'm very proud of. That that was when I was first starting to learn it. Um, because I, I, I got so tired of, cause I would use sublime text on like my computer and then I would log into my server and I just had nano and I was like, this sucks. I need something that I can use everywhere. And Vim was the most, you know, viable candidate for that. So I was like, huh, viable, <laughs> <laughs> nail it in one. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, Vim is hard. And it, it's like... Well put. I, I'm in like this Vim um, Slack group 
with that sounds uh, like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> with, Just did they change all the keyboard it was random, random letters all over the place. <laughs> Colon Q. Colon Q. <laughs> it was it was um it was Adam Morse that invited me. Ah, nice. And <laughs> I love you, Adam, but what the hell? <laughs> Um, and like every now and then I'll just like check cause they post a lot of cool stuff. It's like a few, it's, it's a few people there now. And they, and every time I go there, I end up in this rabbit hole of like, wait, so how, how, how do I record a macro? <laughs> and yeah, so, um, it's, it's a, it's a very useful tool to understand and to be able to use if you really need to. Like for me, it was like, okay, I need something to fix my server when it's broken because I've broken it usually. <laughs> as that, That's as something that I do every time I try and upgrade something really simple. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very easy to do. Hey, you just want to update Ghost? Cool. Okay. <laughs> I broke everything. <laughs> what now? Shit. Everything is down. Uh, you just have to repeat the command with sudo just every time. <laughs> every dude, honestly, it's the answer. Yeah. Sudo all the things. Isn't it sudo? It's super user do. Yeah, it is sudo technically, but that sounds dumb. I really have to vim into my server and update Ghost. <laughs> vim into my server. I just said that. <laughs> I need to vim in. Vim me in. <laughs> vim me up, Scotty. <laughs> what's uh? What's next on your plate to learn? Oh boy, I've been relearning Swift. Mm, um, relearning Swift? Yeah, because the <laughs> 1.0 came out so, and I learned it. And then 2.0 came out and I learned it again. So so um about it like maybe a year and a half ago, I started trying to learn Objective C, which was a nightmare. And then Swift came out and it was great, but it didn't really come out because it was in beta for like months. Mm-hmm. But during that time, while it was in beta, I started like a iOS development course and that was in Swift. And so we learned Swift. And then I stopped writing it, and then version one came out, and everything changed. And I was like, okay, I better relearn this. And so I did for like a month, and then I stopped. And then I just had to work on a little project, and version two had come out. And I was like, okay, Ah, I got (laughs) it. So it's great to have a language that's rapidly evolving, and it's actually very similar to like scripting procedural languages like JavaScript and PHP and Ruby. It's a godsend to understand some of this stuff. I'm so excited for where it's going. Like the, the concept insane. of it running on like running server servers. Side, that's yeah. amazing. I saw like somebody tweeting about server side script. I was like, that's no IBM, right? Way. IBM's doing that. Yeah. Server side <sighs> Swift. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand the implications of that. Can you tell me? Someone teach me. One language on all your platforms? That's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> It's a technical achievement for sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to understand the, the, a the widely developer acclaimed, easy to understand, relatively language running on the majority of your platforms. Okay. That seems like a win in my book. I'm sure Sophus is, is like yelling into his like. I think. Hey, hey Sam. Question Sam, for the how next do do this? immutable episode. Another podcast on the Spec Network. Why is server side Swift? important i just told you fuck you (laughs) for me i want to hear it from sam's mouth well dan's mouth first and then sam's mouth i think next week it's exciting for me for the same reason that or it's not it's not exciting for me but i can see the excitement in the same way that's like react side um server side react is exciting yes right where 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You Why is server side React exciting? Well, dude, imagine being able to write one language yeah. across all of your platforms. But it, it makes... does all the other languages wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I get it. Basically, you're saying your developers can be full stack like by yeah. default. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you're working on with Swift? Oh, um, it was it was a Valentine's gift for <laughs> my girlfriend. Nice, dude. What was it? It was a custom keyboard. We, <laughs> I made all these like custom emojis. It was a lot of fun. Whenever she types Dan, it replaces with Ben <laughs> or Jack <laughs> or, or Dad or Dad. Oh God, that's, that's far worse. <laughs> Took it in a weird direction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, this is something else I want to get into because your side projects list is a mile long. Um, you've done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, first of all, like why? Second of all, how do you find the time and the energy to keep shipping stuff? So you just, the latest one was golden hour. Is that right? Yeah. Why do you do that? Like what's the meaning to you? And then how do you like practically actually find the time to do this kind of stuff? Um, I th- so realistically golden hour is the first one in a while, I think. Prior to that was another project that I worked on for a few months for like last year called Digital Ruin that was like this dumb Tumblr blog. Um, and then I remember that. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't think about that for a second. That blew up when it first came out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was like, it, it was, was pretty cool. It was a beautiful statement. Well, yeah. what was it? It was. It was. Uh, for lack of a better word, like an art project, I guess, just like here are all these implications of technology and like relationships and stuff. And what does that look like? What are the common themes that everyone can identify with? And that, yeah, my favorite one is just that like typing bubble that everybody hates. You know, when you see that and you see it disappear. Yeah, it was just, it was just like GIFs and pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a fun project. Uh, So, I mean, Side projects for me are just always like it's it's nice to be able to step away from work and work on something if that makes sense. <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. It's nice to work for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to like accomplish your goals specifically. Yeah, like it's great being able to work at like a big company and learn a lot of shit. But mm-hmm. there's stuff outside of the realm of possibility at like a company like Dropbox or Facebook or whatever. And so side projects are just always an excuse to do that stuff. I think primarily, no, not primarily. It's like a secondary goal. The primary goal is like, here's this thing that's bugging me. I need to fix it with like a dumb website or something. And so, yeah, most of my side projects, at least two years ago were like utility stuff. Like, a writing app and like, you know, Brill's this like money thing. And I was like, I I made ringtones for a while because I wanted better ringtones. And yeah, it's always like, here's the thing that's bugging me. I'm going to use the opportunity to learn something new as well. So most of those projects were in different languages and using different technology, which is always fun. Um, How do you find the time? <laughs> uh, I'm... Just nights and weekends, basically. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> the standard answer. <laughs> um, nights, weekends, and lunch breaks. Lunch breaks. Yeah. Ooh, that's intense. And then 
Yeah, so golden hour, that wasn't really a thing that I needed to fix so much as I'm taking a lot of like nice photos of sunrises and sunsets and I kind of want to see them all in one place and I bet people want to set them as wallpapers because I like setting other people's pictures as my wallpaper. So that was a fun thing to work on because it meant I got to play around with like some crazy CSS stuff that I hadn't done before. So, or that I had done before, but didn't have excuses to do elsewhere. Things like viewport sizes and everything. It was like, like VHs and VWs or? Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Mm-hmm. And WebKit scroll snap points as well. Mm-hmm. Like if whoa, you visit. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. What's that? It's, you know how scroll jacking happens on websites now? They're making that a CSS property. What the fuck? Or at least in like Safari. Scroll jack native. Dude, wait, what? Yeah. So you set basically the intervals um, of like scroll snapping. So for me, it was Brian, like. Brian. <laughs> for me, it was just like the pictures I need were. another beer. The pictures were like full screen. So I just need. It was simple for me. I just set it to like 100% of the page height. Okay. And then, yeah, when you scroll, it like snaps to those regions. I just see, I feel like that's just something that's going to get abused. Yeah, no, it is. But it's also cool for You've things seen like... seen CSS, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also cool for things like carousels, right? Where you don't need these clunky JavaScript frameworks anymore to like just move panes across from one another. You can just say, hey, I want this container with five panes in it to move across like 20% every time you scroll on it. So There's something liberating about being able to scratch your own itch like that. Yeah. Mm, CSS, the personal back massager. Oh, I like that. Um, (laughs) But what is it for you that is motivating to keep learning to write code and learn new languages and build new things? Like, I get scratching your own itch, but it's a huge learning curve to, to take on something new. Like, what's the motivation? I think recently... So when I when I joined Dropbox and I was basically in Sketch for like a year, I remember coming back to writing code and feeling so left behind. Like there were all these build tools yes. and like React had just come out and like Swift was a thing. And I was like, holy hell, there's like a lot of new stuff. And so I just realized how easy it is to like get left in the dust with some of those things. So, yeah, for one, I don't want to have that feeling again of, like, relearning how to write websites. That sucked. But also, it's just really interesting learning about the new technologies and everything that are happening. Like, after having written CSS for, like, years, and then Flexbox comes out and just completely changes right? the, way, so good. the way that you write layouts. And I'm writing Flexbox layouts and I'm like, this is going to kill the browser. And then I, it works. It doesn't like have any <laughs> performance implications at all. I'm yeah. like, how does this work? It's insane. And yeah, I've actually, yeah, I've been reading a lot about like completely unrelated things as well, just to, just cause I've got this like learning bug. So I just read the code book, which was awesome. It's the about code book. Yeah, it's about the history and theoretical future of encryption. So, like from the earliest like secret codes in, and then like hieroglyphs, which are not like encryption, but are related to in terms of how people figure out what they mean. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to like quantum encryption and like the theoretical future of like how computer security is going to work. That was a really good book. And the code book. Yeah. Link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. That sounds insane. Yeah, it was a very interesting descriptive read. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About the SEO a long time is to come just, up with. Yeah. It's probably something clever at first, something about encryption. I hate clever names. Mm. All the projects I've worked Scooter. on, I've been like, yeah, no, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I look at that and I die inside. <laughs> I mean, so Animate CSS was like as simple as I could make it. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to do this, you know, cockamimi naming thing. Cockamimi? Cockamimi. <laughs> uh Back to Dropbox, I'm I'm curious, we talked a little bit about how you have sort of like evangelized a CSS toolkit for engineers, but your the other half of your role that we talked about at the very beginning, first question was how you're bridging the gap between designers mm-hmm. and developers and like what that relationship looks like. Um, what are you experiencing right now at Dropbox? Like how are you thinking about that kind of problem? I think I had touched on this where we have so many technically fluent designers at Dropbox with fewer opportunities than they deserve to contribute production code. And part of that, I think, is attributed to the way, the various ways in which design has worked in the org before, where when I joined, the design team was so small that we all worked together on something and then like tossed it back to the engineers. And then for a brief time, we're in these embedded design teams on engineering and PM teams. And that worked really well because I learned a ton about like how the stack works and everything. And now we've just had this other really big reorganization of the company. And I have no idea how design works now because I'm not on design anymore. And what I keep hearing from both sides is like that one party is kind of leading the other insofar as like design seems to be giving directions to engineering but on the on the design side it's like the other way around right both these teams are feeling some strain between who is like telling who what to do i feel like that happens at almost every company right yeah. that's a, oh that's a very common problem how do you navigate that um i think it's going to take more close collaboration between design and engineering at the foundational level we, I mean, it, it happens at a lot of companies where there's this eagerness and, and, and need to build new stuff. But I think what Dropbox needs for a little while and what I'm going to be working on is laying the foundation for like, here are all these design abstractions of like what a button looks like and how it behaves across platforms. How can we ensure that when designers and engineers talk to one another, another about this thing, they're going to leave with exactly the same notion of what's going to be shipping. A surprisingly hard problem to solve. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How do you tackle it, Bryn? I, not well, apparently. <laughs> uh, constantly work in progress. Yeah. Mm. Facebook has some pretty strong rules about it, right? I mean, I've heard about how many style guides. Uh, no, I think I think Facebook is very similarly trying to solve similar problems, right? Like, it's, it's how do a you, big company thing. How do you bridge this, I feel like it's a this communication? It's a, yeah, I feel like if you have more than one thing. person, no one's leaving the room with the same idea. No, totally true. Yeah. And I'm, it's a, it's a tightrope walk of like, 
setting weekly meetings for standups versus mm. well if if people just learn swift and like learn design a little bit we can all be one person companies problem solved there you go we can actually talk about that because holy shit the power that one person can have right now to build products is amazing yeah. it's the best thing it's unbelievable like one person can with a little bit of effort and learning curve make fast lane and sell it to twitter that uh, yeah, it's just so easy to start web services now. Web, uh, mobile too, yeah. Just everything. I mean, um, stacks in the Drew, cloud. Drew Wilson, Sam Sofas. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man. Those guys alone are just ridiculous at building shit. So. I can't believe how much shit Drew ships. It's, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it is disgusting. So now you're technically on the Endor. Is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And do you view the problem you're solving as a temporary one, specifically around like the CSS restructure, the the style guide, or is this <clears throat> is this a, something that that could go on for forever? Yeah. Or do you do you want to land somewhere back on design, or how do, how do you see the next it's, few months you're going? It's not a temporary or short term problem. It's definitely something that will take continuous investment. Um, it just takes more so now because it's not been looked at before. Um, but I mean, there are entire teams at companies dedicated to solving this problem. Like I think about Salesforce and they have like a gigantic number of people working on their lightning design system, which is incredible. And like, I can only imagine how many years it's taken to get there. Didn't Adam start on that? Adam Morse? I think so. I know he worked at Salesforce. I'm pretty sure it was on style stuff. Yeah. That was a while ago as well. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah. Um, it's it's like a long tail thing. Um, but I mean, the payoff is that we get to build stuff faster, which is like, you know, priceless. Is that how you measure success? Yes. How do you measure it though? Faster than last time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think success looks a lot like uh, at least one symptom of it would be not having a, a code base that grows by a thousand lines a week each week just for styles business metrics right there <laughs> what if someone else that you don't know about has a goal to increase the code base by by one thousand i feel lines like that's what's happening that person is meeting their damn quota um i mean it's it's strong a hard, commitment it's a hard thing to like quantify right so i mean i remember a, a year or so ago we did a survey of uh, web engineers at Dropbox to find out where they felt the most pain and spent the most time. And both those metrics, number two was writing and understanding CSS. So, and that was when we were like a 600 person company. So, I don't know. If we can get more feedback that goes against that measure, that would be great. Move it down to number three. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a step. One step. One step yeah. at a time. Do you see yourself wanting to go back to the design side? Yeah. Do you feel that pull as well? Yeah, I I definitely do. Even in the last couple of months since I moved to engineering, I find myself missing product design increasingly. Um, which is a shame because I'm not detached. I'm still on the pulse. I'm still in meetings. I'm still making decisions about that stuff. But um, I think when you 
find yourself in a position that you have to think about the technical constraints around like designing stuff, you stifle that creativity that you need so yes. often. Yes. Which has its upsides and downsides. That's something that's always on my mind when I think about certainly building my own things is that I'm 100% constrained by what I can do technically. Yeah. And so during the design process, it's in the back of my mind like, ah, I don't know how to do that. And I know I could figure it out over the course of many hours, but... Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I don't start there at all. You start on the like, you here's start? what the product should be. We'll figure out technical later. Uh, on, when I'm building something, it's for web. Mm-hmm. And I just... Like, I kind of wing it on web enough that I'm just like, eh, I'll figure it out, I guess. <laughs> like, iOS and Android, like, I, I follow their systems, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part. Like, mm-hmm. unless I'm doing something that is, like, totally out of left field or whatever. Mm-hmm. But web, I feel like everything is out of left field. So I just kind of, like, that this seems like a cool idea. <laughs> like, I'll try that, I guess. Honestly, that's, there's no rules. I was thinking about this on the way of it. Like, how there's, there's a lot of talk or at least it feels like there's a lot of talk about how like the web is dying and like mobile first and all this stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but (laughs) okay. True. But, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not like the web is constrained the same way that those platforms are. Like I think about it, like with, with mobile design and desktop design, it's, you know, a lot of platforms are heading there and it's great. But it's like going to an art store and buying a framed canvas versus getting the canvas yourself and stretching it yourself and building the frame yourself. With the web, you are way more unlimited in terms of like exactly what you can produce. Like, I mean, I think about React as a very prime example of this thing that was like, what if we just rebuilt the DOM? (laughs) (laughs) And, Hmm, And... what if we just jack everyone's shit? Like yeah. everyone. Which which was awesome. And they couldn't have was it done awesome? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty sick. They Te- technically interesting is one thing. <laughs> no, the Shadow Dom, that that concept's it's, interesting. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And they I said interesting. That's interesting. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And like they couldn't have done that if they started from like iOS or Android. And now it's made its way back. Like the the really cool parts about React have made themselves present in like React Native and stuff. But which you've is, seen what that code looks like, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's a start. It'll get there. Is it a good start? Is it a start worth having? I don't... <sighs> no, Any start is a start worth having. Oh, wow. God. Sage advice right An there. An eternal optimist. So what about for you personally? How do you deal with what you know technically versus the things that you're you're wanting to design and actually exist um do you push yourself on the technical side or on the design side more on the technical side okay i think i feel like my design expertise is definitely more on the typographic side and and there's a lot of like great theory that's lasted centuries around that stuff and so ui design is less my strong suit like i mean i i remember working with like Tim Van Dam, who is one of the best like UI designers I've ever known, who had this insane ability to just like think outside of like existing paradigms to a like insane degree and like iterate like crazy. And I can't do that. I prefer the like simple approach, as in I'll usually look for like, okay, what is the simplest implementation of this thing that already exists? And that 
does lend itself to the technical growth thing where it's like, okay, I know how to build this in like XYZ. What about ABC instead? Like, where can I really push the limits on like how fast this thing is or like the new thing that I can learn? And that was one good thing about joining Dropbox as a designer that just worked in Sketch was I was forced to curb that habit and really concentrate on like honing my skills as like a product and UI designer, which was really good. It's a lot of fun. So what's next? What's the next side project? Oh boy. I don't know. Side projects creep up on me. They just hit me one day. I'm like, okay, I have to build this thing now. And uh-huh. I, I take like 48 hours to build the like crudest. And then you emerge from the, <laughs> the room. So, no, seriously, yeah. it's exactly like that. So the latest thing that I created a GitHub repo for, which is like my measure of like the side project I'm working on, is just like a list app, which sounds dumb. But I mean, like I, I've been thinking about places that I want to travel to. And it's like, what if I just had a list app that like I could throw Instagram URLs at and it would give me like a thumbnail and the name place and like all this stuff and I could do that with anything like groceries or like you know restaurants and stuff Instagram groceries groceries. (laughs) (laughs) grocery URLs yeah damn those groceries look vintage Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) wait you actually like find URLs for the grocery stuff that sounds like a lot I mean like throwing a recipe at it and it gives me like a shopping list out of that so I don't Mm, know parser writing Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Cool. Uh, and that repo is public, so people can check it out. Not yet. Not I'm yet. still. I I started trying to do it in like React and Node, and haven't gotten anywhere yet. So, but it'll it'll. I feel it'll, you, man. Yeah. Node is the only language I've built anything like that was a, a an application in. Oh, nice. Me too. I haven't written it at all, and so I'm. I have no idea where to start. <gasps> I'm just like. That's where I was. Nice. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like a Ruby and PHP guy. So. Ooh, honestly, if I tried again, I'd have to start over from scratch. Like, we I forgot can... one thing at a time and forgot it immediately after. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that I learned how to comment my code because I remember going back to a project that I'd left for like a year with oh, no fuck. comments. Yeah, no. I, you just like strip out the whole thing and start again. It's yeah. useless. Takeaway. <laughs> comment your code. Yep. Yes. And on that note... <laughs> Which is an excellent Let's ending point. Let's leave on that note. Uh, we are over time. Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up? At DTE on Twitter? Uh, underscore DTE. Dude, that I must tried. be the most frustrating existence. Yeah. For the longest time, <laughs> at DTE was like inactive. And I tried everything to try and get that account. And then <laughs> she debuted her return with Welcome Back, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sad. And today, actually, I went to my settings and like took out the underscore to see what would happen in the name thing. And it said username too short. Yep. Yeah. At Bryn became available and I can't get it because it says username too short. What the hell? Right? What the fuck is that? What the hell, right? Yeah. It's like gone, but I can't take it. These are sad times. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to plug you uh, on Twitter. People can follow you underscore DTE. And then we'll definitely link to your side projects and library and blog posts in the show notes. Cool. Don't you have more things to list there? GitHub, uh, LinkedIn. I'll include a link to your LinkedIn. We'll endorse you there for podcasting that one time. I'm going to publicly include... Can I give you my public key? Yes. And I'm going to include your email address 
as plain text. Can you get yeah? Can you get all cool. of them? Yes. Hotmail, the three Gmail accounts. Yes. Google Apps. Yes. Done. Cool. Thanks for taking the time, man. Thank you. That is episode 109. Thanks to Dan for coming and hanging out with us. That was super rad. We had so much fun. And we hope you did too. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes. Those are super, super helpful for us. We honestly read every single one. We appreciate you if you have left us a review. Basically, reviews tell iTunes that people are listening and that you guys are giving us good feedback. Helps us move up the charts. Helps new people find the show. That popular rating on the episodes and stuff, that actually comes from the number of comments and ratings left after that episode came out. Fun fact. So if you have been enjoying the show, or even if this was your first episode, we would really appreciate it if you would just leave us a review. That helps us a ton. Uh, it's a super quick way to basically support the show and help us keep growing. And of course, before we go, huge thanks to Wayno for making this episode possible. Wayno is one of our favorite design agencies. Their team is unbelievably good, cranking out killer work for clients that we admire. And they want you to just check out their work. Go to their website. That's Wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Check out their work. Follow them on Dribbble. They're cranking out some absolutely beautiful, beautiful work. They're doing so much to support the community too. And I can't believe like supporting someone going to Montu's, helping us out. They're constantly like looking for new sponsorship stuff to do that kind of thing. Can't appreciate it enough. They're such huge supporters of like what we try and do in our whole community. So we love them. You should work for them. Go to wayno.co. If you want a new job, click the careers link in their header and tell them we sent you. Thanks, Wayno. See you next week.